Welcome to Community Values, a podcast dedicated to exploring the values of vibrant, equitable places. I'm your host, Tracy Donato of consulting firm Anthem LLC, and today we are speaking with Bridget Murray, founder of nonprofit organization Achieving Community Tasks Successfully, also known as ACTS, and civic leader in the Pleasantville neighborhood in Houston, Texas, and with Reverend James Caldwell, founder of nonprofit Coalition of Community Organizations, aka COCO, and civic leader in the Fifth Ward neighborhood in Houston, Texas, about their mutual efforts to mobilize behind improvement of air quality through placement of local air quality monitors. This episode was made possible by the Environmental Defense Fund, a member of Houston's One Breath Partnership, a partnership of organizations dedicated to elevating the work for clean air every day in Houston, Harris County, and our region. Thanks for joining. Well, hello, my name is Bridget Murray. I'm the founder and executive director of Achieving Community Tasks Successfully, uh, better known or DBA Acts. Uh, it is a community-based organization in, on the east side of uh, Houston, uh, near the edge, if you will, of the city of Houston uh, boundaries. Uh, we're two miles from the Houston Ship Channel. Uh, we're very near a, a commercial industrial uh, area. Uh, and there's basically uh, very little support uh, around our communities for residential living. Uh, we're surrounded by freeways, I-10, 610. Um, and so um, as a community, uh, when my family came to Pleasantville in 1957, the community had existed for uh, nearly nine years, almost 10 years. Uh, It's a planned African-American community, uh, which was unique uh, at that time. Uh, The the initial development was multifamily dwelling. They had the Pleasantville Apartments, as they were called. And then people started moving into the homes about 1950. So the community has been in existence uh, since 1948. We were annexed by the city of Houston in 1949. So the community uh, went through some uh, major uh, upgrades, if you will, led by community residents uh, in requesting that the schools be built. So we have an elementary school as well as a middle school in our community. We have a city of Houston library uh, as well. The community residents had to uh, pool their resources to get a street lights in the community. So I grew up in a community where civic engagement was very important and a part of uh, what the residents were willing to do. They were engaged in the civil rights movement uh, within the city of Houston. Um, we're always proud to mention that Judson Robinson Jr., who was the first Black uh, city council member, was a resident here in the Pleasantville community. And the fact that his father, Judson Robinson Sr., actually was the real estate agent that sold the majority of the homes in the Pleasantville community. And it was over time when we started seeing the encroachment in our community by commercial uh, and industrial development that we started to see that change from residential primary uh, to more, um, we're here, but our boundaries are basically, uh, our borders are surrounded by commercial uh, industry. 
uh, and, it's, and it is over that time that we experienced uh, a fire in a major warehouse in 1995 that resulted, uh, that uh, was on fire for about three weeks. So I think that over time, uh, the residents of Pleasantville um, have grown concerned about our surroundings, uh, our exposure, uh, knowing that we have uh, not only a super fun site right on the other side of 610 Freeway from our community, we had the dredge site from the Port of Houston to overflow uh, in 1956. So there are quite a few incidents that we can actually point to. And I've already mentioned the fact that we're so close to the freeway. And so particulate matter is a major concern. Particulate matter is defined as tiny particles, each about 1 30th the width of a human hair, that come from power plants, industrial operations, cars and trucks, diesel engines, and fires. These airborne particles, also known as soot, can penetrate deep into the lungs and enter the bloodstream, triggering serious health conditions including reduced lung development in children, higher rates of asthma, bronchitis, heart disease, cancer, and early death. Early research also indicates that exposure to particle pollution increases the risk of death from the novel coronavirus. Reverend Caldwell, would you give us a brief introduction to yourself, your work, and your community? Yes, uh, I am Reverend James Caldwell. I am the oh. director and founder of COCO, which stands for the Coalition of Community Organizations. Primarily uh, based in Ward. But um, we service a lot of the uh, communities in and around the city of Houston, underserved, neglected communities, and communities at large. We don't necessarily be specific about one community or another. Uh, we want to make sure that they're informed, educated, and have the resources necessary to address whatever issues that may be affecting them. I am a resident of the ward, and I can uh, remember when Pipwell was an intact community. Uh, it began probably in the 30s, uh, mid to late 30s, even before then actually. But that's uh, about as far as my, not necessarily memory, but my knowledge goes. Um, Pipwell was one of those communities who was uh, separated, I'll even say integrated by the interstates themselves, Interstate 10 and now Interstate 69, which took major portions of Fifth Ward and, and, and separated it. It also created uh, a, a traffic air quality issue, which we're beginning to address now with the uh, I-45 expansion. But Fifth Ward over the years was a community and it's the community of uh, George Foreman, of Barbara Jordan, of Mickey Leland, and several other musicians uh, that were part of, of Billboard that actually grew up in, in Billboard. But it also had some factories there as well, which the community uh, members itself and residents worked in. Some of those uh, factories and industries turned into toxic sites. Uh, and Superfund sites. Ward currently has three Superfund sites in it and numerous toxic sites. We're currently addressing a crystal issue uh, over near the rail yard. And as was mentioned uh, by Ms. Mary, the, uh, you know, the rail yard runs from 
actually downtown, near downtown, all the way to the port of Houston. And uh, one of the major exchanges is in uh, Piltwater, where they used to produce uh, crystal, which is a toxin. And uh, now a lot of our residents are addressing that. <clears throat> when we think in terms of the uh, air quality issue, I've forgotten the exact number of batch plants, cements batch plants, which are located in Piltwater, and there are numerous. I know there's at least six, it may be more and uh, metal recyclers, which is even larger. And this adds to the uh, particulate matter and the air quality in, in Pilkwad alone itself. And I think the uh, metal recyclers may be in double digits in, in Pilkwad. So these are some of the uh, primary issues that we have. And as I said, along with the uh, uh, the expansion of I-45 and of course I-10, and all, uh, as well as I-45, all of these corridors um, lead to the Port of Houston. And that in turn also uh, increases uh, the air quality in, in Billboard. To begin with, there are basically no quality air monitors in Billboard. Yes, we would like to emulate what uh, Busbury is doing over in, in, in Pleasantville. And we're in the process of doing that with several entities, several entities, uh, because there are no air monitors. So we don't know uh, the quality of air that we're breathing. We're working with every, any and every entity that includes the EPA, I mean, not EPA, TCEQ, to uh, try to address our air quality issues, uh, which in turn bring about, you know, asthma and other cardiovascular, uh, as well as breathing, um, uh, issues for the community as a whole. So our objective primarily is to address the overall health concerns uh, that poor air quality is brought about. And we, we say poor air quality, but we don't know the nature of that air quality because we have nothing to actually monitor uh, that. Uh, and as a result of that, we are uncertain. We see the results from a health perspective, but we don't know the full uh, impact that it has had on our community. Uh, I, I admire Ms. Mary and her efforts and the community's efforts in Pleasantville to try to address that, but we want to be in that same category. We want our uh, community itself to grow, to sustain itself. And, and understand the issues, what is surrounding air quality or any other environmental issues that are affecting them. And that's primarily what COCO tries to do in working with other entities, organizations, agencies. It does not matter. We want uh, equity to be a part of our message uh, to our communities. We want to inform them. We want to educate them. And we want to educate them to uh, uh, connect them, I should say, to uh, resources and entities that can begin to resolve the issues. We don't want to discuss them. We know what they are. <laughs> We've had that conversation for decades. And so we're, we're seeking actually resolutions and solutions because there is a, an issue that exists there and it needs to be addressed. So. In a nutshell, you know, Billboard has been, um, even though it is history, you know, and all of the above, it has been one of, it is a uh, minority, low-income community, uh, primarily uh, Black, but there's a uh, growing Hispanic population in our community. And uh, 
we have been neglected and, uh, and underserved, and we want to address both aspects of it. We're concerned about the overall quality of life of uh, individuals. Uh, when we think in terms of our quality issues, it affects, when we connect the dots, we see how it affects uh, economic growth, not just healthcare, but uh, academia, uh, the education aspect of it, the infrastructure, all of the above, housing and so forth. So if we can begin to address this aspect of it, then we can also uh, focus or uh, begin to focus on the other uh, entities that are attached to it. And that, from our perspective, creates an overall uh, addressing of the quality of life uh, in Inville as a whole. The New York Times recently published an article referencing a study done by the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign that analyzed data from more than 5,000 EPA air quality monitors and found that nearly all emission sources cause disproportionate exposure to people of color to pollution. This inequity has roots in historical practices like redlining, under which the federal government marked certain neighborhoods as risky for real estate investments because their residents were black. For decades, residents of redlined areas were denied access to federally backed mortgages and other lines of credit, fueling a cycle of disinvestment and environmental problems. Oftentimes, highways were located in and through black neighborhoods, resulting in even greater exposure to diesel emissions and other pollution due to proximity to those highways. Yeah, I, I absolutely see the interconnectedness between all of these issues. Um, you can't have a meaningful quality of life without addressing and the air we breathe is kind of the bare minimum, right? Like when we talk about quality of life. I want to back up for a minute um, for the benefit of listeners to talk about what types of pollution we are um, talking about when we say we don't know. I think a lot of audience members may or those with a casual understanding of these issues think air pollution and they automatically think big oil refineries. And yes, that is a type, right, of air pollution. However, what we're talking about is is uh, more prolific and more um, insidious and smaller particulates even than that, right? Because TCEQ does actually monitor along the ship channel itself. And what we're talking about in your communities is something different. So we're currently monitoring particulate matter 2.5, better known uh, or simplified as soot. Um, and what makes this um, type of uh, pollutant so uh, dangerous is because the particles are so small that you can basically breathe them into your body, which then will cause problems, particularly for those individuals with breathing problems or respiratory problems, and even heart condition, and even affect the neurological system. So when you understand how all of these major, <clears throat> excuse me, systems can be impacted by these particles, you, you, you find then that the average person typically thinks of pollution, they directly go to cancer. But we need to have a broader understanding of how pollution can impact so many different major organs uh, and cause health issues. And as uh, Reverend Caldwell was, was talking about, uh, reducing or impacting the quality of life. 
so, you know, so that is what is currently being measured in the Pleasantville community. Um, the reason, though, that we're looking at this opportunity, if you will, for TCEQ to place a monitor in our community is that what we are able to purchase as a, as a community organization is what they refer to as a low-cost monitor. It, is, it gives you good information. You can identify patterns and trends, but unfortunately, the information from that type of monitor is typically not used by a regulatory agency like TCEQ to act upon. So as a community, we then have to notify the City of Houston Health Department or TCEQ to come in and then monitor the area. But we're now talking about a delay. So what we saw on Monday last week may not be seen on the day that they come in to do monitoring. But if TCEQ comes in, places their monitor within the community, they have direct access to the information. It's real time and it's actionable because it's being collected by one of their monitors. And that is the big difference, the big uh, opportunity for communities like ours is to have that type of monitoring being done directly in our community when we've already been able to establish that readings are high. That's interesting. So is it mandatory to collect the data yourself via a low cost monitor prior to TCEQ taking the complaint seriously? No, that was a decision made by the community because we didn't have that monitor in our community. Um, and the community residents felt very strongly that air quality was an issue and a concern for them. So the opportunity then uh, in a short-term kind of way was to place monitor, to purchase the monitors. And as a community, we didn't have the expertise within our community. So we're actually working with organizations like Environmental Defense Fund or EDF, Texas Southern University. Um, and we've even hired an analyst to work with our community that, that basically prepares the reports on, uh, on the data that's being collected. So we have to have the, that expertise working directly with us. Even if we were to get the TCEQ monitor, we would still need some support because you have to do the whole data download. I believe me, it's been an education. Uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking, I'm listening to you and my mind is a little bit blown. So as someone who does community and policy work, I understand how difficult it can be to get a consensus around an issue, even mm -hmm. one that seems fairly obvious is in the community's right. benefit. So I would love for you um, and Reverend Caldwell for you as well to walk through how you've been able to build capacity within your communities around an issue that is seemingly very complex because that's one of the most impressive, impactful things about each of your communities and each of your stories is the way that you've been able to take a very complex issue and rally your community around it. Well, the I would just share that for our community, um, first, it, it, it has been a community that has taught me uh, how to be civically engaged and how to network within the community. Um, and I, before 
uh, founding acts, I was president of our civic organization. I'm currently president of our super neighborhood uh, organization. So I guess you can say I've been working in the community for a few years. Um, and so, but, but civic organizations can do just so much. And I think Reverend Caldwell can speak to that. But having the, the nonprofit community-based organization supporting some of the desires, the needs of the community, I think is where we have been able to make a difference. Um, in the community because we can't, you know, we can go to city government, we can go to county, uh, we can go to the state, we can ask the feds for different things, but not, the answer is not always yes. And so we have to figure out ways to meet some of those unmet needs that we talk about a lot. And so the the, the concept of starting a nonprofit uh, community-based organization was just one vehicle, one tool that we wanted to use to, to try to meet some of those unmet needs. And Reverend Caldwell, has that been your experience as well in the fifth ward? Uh, yes, a, a lot of what Ms. Mary said, I echo. You know, the difference being, um, they're able to measure 2.5 particular matter. We're not, you know, we're, we're trying to reach that stage. We see the impact, we see the effect, but we don't have the quote unquote data to uh, to verify that having monitors, whether they be TCQ or even uh, the Clarity or Purple Monitors, whatever, something that will begin to uh, help to educate our community about the dangers, you know, uh, especially the healthcare aspect of it, uh, poor air quality. You know, um, when I, you heard me mention earlier about uh, Chris Hall, people will say, well, how does that affect poor air quality? That Chris Hall has been in the ground so long that fumes come out from it. And when you breathe in those fumes, uh, that particular plan has been closed since the 80s, but it is still having a major, major impact on the community as a whole. We have birth defects, we have uh, cancer, we have leukemia, all of these uh, facts. And these, these are actual facts. So studies have been done in regard to this. Uh, so how do we rally uh, from our perspective, rally a community around to address these issues? We have to make it personal. We have to let them know what this is and the impact that it's having on them. Because a lot of times in our communities, we'll say, well, as long as it doesn't bother me, then that's their problem. It's their issue. But once you make it personal, it may not affect you personally. But what about your wife? What about your husband? What about your children? What about your parents? What about the people that you love in the community and care about? And it is our hope that in that process, we can begin to uh, rally and uh, begin to unify our community to uh, engage them to begin to address those entities, those decision makers uh, that will, to bring about a change. We have those concrete batch plants and metal recyclers along with the other issues in, in our community. And we don't have any clue. Um, and I hate to say that, yeah, but unfortunately, we don't. We, we don't know. They're, they're constantly grinding and cutting metal and crushing concrete. And, and as Ms. Murray mentioned, that particular matter gets into the air. Most of the time, we're right next door to them. 
and all of the above. And we don't, we have no measurement for that. And as a result of that, our children, our grandchildren, our elderly, our seniors, our disabled, and are all affected by it. And recently we've discovered that there are some lead issues as well. So when you compound uh, those factors, uh, it is our hope, you know, and our desire that in the process of doing so, that we're able to engage our communities to become more involved. Uh, when you, when, there's an old cliche, you know better, you do better. You know what I mean? And we want our communities to be informed. And as, as a preacher, you know, uh, scriptures tell me that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So we want to provide them with insight. We want to provide them with knowledge. We don't want to just discuss these issues and tell you that this exists here, that exists here. We want you to know the impact of what this is, how it's going to affect you, how it's going to affect your family, your community as a whole, from an economic standpoint, from a social standpoint, all health standpoint, housing, all of the above, because you have to uh, not just discuss the issue itself, air quality, you have to discuss its impact, what it has on the community in the process of doing so, you have to be willing to connect those dots. And once you connect those dots, then you see the bigger picture, the overall impact. It's not just that there's particulate matter that's causing, you know, uh, cardiovascular or asthma or any of those issues. It goes a lot deeper than that. And that's what we want to try to do in the process of educating and informing our communities uh, about this, because let's just be honest about it, in, in our communities, these are issues that have not been addressed and the effort to go in and to discover that has to be done by, you know, nonprofits like us, you know, with Murray, you know, with Axe, uh, uh, EDL, you know, Texas A&M. We work with Texas A&M. Uh, they've done testing for us and all of uh, TSU, you know, and, uh, you know, airlines here. We work with a bunch of entities to gather information and data so that we can be uh, in a position to share that, not only with our community, but with our elected officials as well. You know, we don't, as I said, we don't want to just talk about the issues. We want to present the facts to you and uh, allow you to hear the uh, voices of those who you represent. And um, hopefully, as a decision maker, as a policy maker, we can uh, begin to change that policy, whether it's through conversation with TCEQ, uh, you know, our elected officials, our commissioners, whomever, uh, we just want them to hear uh, the voices of the communities that are impacted by uh, lack of monitored air quality or even just poor air quality. We have to continue to push the envelope, you know, as far as we possibly can and mobilize our communities and come up with the facts and the data. It does not lie, but the facts and the data does not lie. And as far and as often and as long as it takes to push that envelope, we will continue to do so because uh, we're talking about impacted communities. And in order to sustain the longevity, you know, our history, our culture, our identity of our communities, then this is an ongoing fight. I'm a little bit long in the two, so, you know, it's, I can remember the 60s, you know what I mean? That's a struggle 
continues and it will continue as long as COCO is in existence and these issues and these problems. And I'm pretty sure I can say the same for Ms. Murray and Axe and, and uh, EDF and others. Uh, because there is an injustice, you know, and uh, to make a quote, injustice anywhere, the threat to justice everywhere. And we have to be aware of that, conscious of that, and be willing to do something about it. Our lives begin to end the moment we remain silent about things that really matter. And this really matters because it has an impact on our communities, and it's a detrimental impact as far as its longevity, its sustainability, its ability to prosper, its ability to grow. This is another dot that has to be connected when we talk about the decision makers and what have you. For the majority of our communities, you know, work five, six days a week, sometimes eight, 10 hours a day, and we're not politically conscious, you know, and so that consciousness we have to raise that consciousness. We have to be willing to connect them to decision makers. And, and if it means that we have to rally against you because, of, because you're more detrimental in this position than you are beneficial to the community or your constituency, then we're willing to do so. Uh, but that's in the process of connecting these dots because the dots are numerous. And, and, and unless we're able to see the entire picture, the big picture, and who all is being affected by it, the reason why I do what I do, I'm pretty sure, Ms. Burr, is because we love our communities. You know, we love people. And because we do, this is why we do what we do. Um, and because we want to see everyone, everyone's life. You know, a, a child that's two, three years old that I may never meet. You know what I mean? We want to make sure that he or she has the opportunity to grow up, to get a good education, to live in a, a healthy, sustainable, economically prosperous community and have access to all of the resources and opportunities that are available to them. And when we think in terms of the air quality issues in our communities, then that is a detrimental impact. Well, when we talk about things like sustainability, which in the in light of this conversation, sustainability seems almost far-fetched, right? Like, let's first get to uh, breathable air, and then we can talk about sustainability. But really, um, the city of Houston is an international city. It's the most diverse city in the country. It's, it surpassed New York City in 2010, right, in terms of um, diversity. Mm-hmm. And so it, like, it, it hails itself as... Um, a city of opportunity, you know, the state of Texas has um, notoriously or famously, depending on your perspective, open economic development incentives and policies. And so I'm interested to know how this has been framed in the past as an economic issue, as an economic um, driver for the city to address these issues within our communities You know, there are groups like Greater Houston Partnership who market our city to international uh, companies seeking to make their headquarters in a place where they can grow and thrive. How are we how are we leveraging those efforts to get attention drawn to this issue? Because this is absolutely an economic issue. You know, sustainability has three components, environmental, economic and social. This touches on every single 
one of them when we talk about environmental justice and systemic racism and environmental justice as a product of systemic racism and how they fuel each other, right, as a cycle. And Houston, despite being the most diverse city in the country, is, is not immune to this, like as this. So how, I guess I'm just saying, how do we connect the dot between the suffering that these communities are experiencing, that your communities are experiencing, and the economic vitality and future of this city? What I would say is that the economic development that is being experienced within the city of Houston is not happening in many of our legacy communities. Um, you know, and when we look at how a lot of our communities, and when I say our, Sunnyside, Fifth Ward, Cashmere Gardens, Acres Homes, Pleasantville, uh, when these areas were annexed, they were more or less annexed by the city for the purpose of putting landfills and, and other uh, businesses that they didn't want in their neighborhoods. So it's not like this problem started yesterday, 10 years ago. It, it, this, has been, this is a product of many years of segregated uh, decision-making, redlining, no zoning. I mean, so we, we suffer that history. And um, I think that the mayor has put together this, this program regarding uh, complete communities, I guess, as a way to address some of that. But a community like ours, which is a very landlocked community, would not fit the profile of an area that would be considered for complete communities. Um, so as Reverend mentioned, that whenever there is an issue that's going on that impacts your community directly, you have to not be silent. You have to be willing to make that good trouble um, that we hear about to make sure that decision makers understand that the decision that they make will also have a, a negative effect or a harmful impact uh, on some of the residents' taxpayers of the city of Houston. For example, we have a situation going on right now where um, TCEQ has given uh, permission to two, two companies um, for what they refer to as municipal setting designation. And so the city of Houston City Council has to vote on it. And both of these companies have groundwater contamination. They're on the southern border and northern border of our community. So if the city accepts the findings of the experts paid for by the companies, their information only, then there's only one voice talking about whether or not that area is truly, the contamination is, is, is truly uh, contained. ACTS has been able to hire an, a technical expert to review their documentation. Uh, we've been working with Lone Star Legal Aid and Earth Justice. So we actually have experts reviewing both of their uh, applications and we are basically talking directly with the city regarding what we're finding versus what was, what was stated in their application. And that's basically where we are. If we're going to be protecting ourselves, we, we have to be in a position to be able to understand 
that there's going to be a lot of technical issues that we don't understand and we have to find the right partners to work with um, and collaborate with who have the same value systems that we have and who are willing and, and want to protect lives uh, and, and the health of individuals and communities. In the process of fighting this fight, we want to continue also to educate our communities. When we think in terms of industry and, and things like that, it's sometimes it's a catch-22 because a lot of families depend on those interests. Now, this is how they pay the rent and put yeah. food on the table and all of the above. Uh, and I'm pretty sure a lot of that exists up north. You know, uh, maybe not so much downtown, but especially up north. Uh, but the plants and uh, along the port where Miss Mary and them are uh, uh, up Houston, where uh, I plants, you know, they live in the Pleasantville community. They live in the Fifth Ward, in the South Parks, in the Sunny Sides, in the Acres Home. And when you begin to try to push back or begin that campaign, uh, you know, against these and try to gain support in, in regard to it, then you get a little pushback, you know, well, sure, yeah. from the residents themselves or the community itself. Right. Without it's, something to replace it, that makes yeah, that it's a thin line. It's a very thin line that yeah. you have to walk in that regard. But the primary method that we use is that we make it personal. You know, I mean, what good will it do you to work 20, 25 years at a plan or something and your children or your wife has this chronic sickness or disease and it's because of a, B, C, D. Yeah, no, and that's exactly why we do um, need to make the push to get you the air monitors, right? And yeah, precisely, and that's why we're in support of them because uh, unlike Ms. Murray and Axe over there, we don't really know what's in our air. We, right. you know, we, we don't, we can speculate and, you know, just assume we can get the cities, um, estimates and what they've done, but that's on the given day. Today, it may be just perfect, you know, nothing. And tomorrow, that can change. And that tomorrow could turn into three days a week. You know, well, we right, and it unfortunately acts to the detriment of the community. Yeah, precisely. Uh, we are coming up on time and I wanna be respectful of everybody's time, um, but I really, really want to thank you both for being here, um, for doing what you're doing in your communities. For well, thank you, Mary. Thank you. <laughs> you what? <laughs> I say thank Miss Murray. She's the expert. I do oh. thank Miss Murray. I sure do. And I, you know, I want to um, also be sure that I mentioned there is a petition that we need signatures on. Um, you can find that petition to support putting air monitors in these communities at the website of One Breath Partnership. It will be open until May 21st for um, comment. You can find that at one breathhou.org. Again, that's One Breath Partnership, onebreathhou.org. I want to encourage all of our listeners um, to share this information with everyone they know who has a vested interest in Houston having a breathable air, right? Like this should be a no-brainer. So thank you both for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. 
Hi, you've been listening to the Community Values Podcast, and we're glad you're here. For more episodes, more information about our mutual aid efforts, or more information about our sponsor, Anthem LLC, you can find us online at communityvaluespod.org.